Another episode of Radio Rounds, the podcast interview series presented by St. Louis Children's Hospital, covering pediatric topics of interest to doctors and healthcare professionals. Here's Melanie Cole. The cochlear implant program at St. Louis Children's Hospital is a joint program offered by St. Louis Children's Hospital and the Washington University Department of Otolaryngology. My guest to tell us today about pediatric cochlear implantation is Dr. Bernadette Rekshawski. She's a pediatric cochlear implant audiologist at St. Louis Children's Hospital. Dr. Rekshawski, tell us a little bit about the cochlear implant program at Children's. What conditions are treated here? The cochlear implant program at St. Louis Children's Hospital began in the late 1980s. We will soon be celebrating our 1,000th cochlear implant, which is really exciting. And our team consists of audiology, speech-language pathology, and otolaryngology. We do pull in other specialties as needed, like neuropsychology, uh, social work. We might work with an NF2 clinic, things like that. And we are treating permanent severe to profound hearing loss, most typically. Over time, the criteria for cochlear implants has expanded, and so we do open up the candidacy evaluation for kids with greater amounts of residual hearing, um, maybe kids with ANSD, auditory neuropathy, or even single-sided deafness. So tell us a little bit about the implants. What type of implants are available today that maybe weren't available 10 or 20 years ago? We work with all three of the FDA-approved cochlear implant manufacturers. Uh, The technology today involves using multiple electrode channels, which is much different than how they started back in the the late 70s and the early 80s. Um, They mostly all have an internal component and an external component that needs to be worn for them to use be used. And um, in our audiology department here, we work with other implantable auditory devices like the bone conduction systems or an auditory brainstem implant or an ABI as well. So then tell us about implants for single-sided deafness first. Why wasn't this done before? What's, what's been the evolution of it? Sure, that's a great question. Historically, we've reserved cochlear implants for patients who have a bilateral severe to profound hearing loss. But we have seen that over the past 20, 30, 40 years, we've seen these CI recipients or cochlear implant recipients have a lot of success. And so the hearing rehab field began to expand that candidacy criteria. Um, You know, to step away from cochlear implants and just look at single-sided deafness, that's specifically talking about somebody who has a severe to profound hearing loss in one ear and normal or near normal hearing in their opposite ear. Due to that degree of hearing loss, the patient isn't considered a hearing aid candidate in their severe to profound hearing loss ear, but we know that they still have a lot of issues and concerns that arise. Um, One big one can be tinnitus, but really it's difficulty for binaural listening situations. For instance, difficulty hearing in background noise, localizing to a sound, or hearing hearing, um, sounds that are presented on the side of the deaf ear, which we call the head shadow effect. And these three issues can lead to a host of issues, subsequent issues like speech and language delays in children, academic concerns, social and emotional issues, all which can affect their quality of life. And so as cochlear implants and that technology improved, we started to think as a field that this might be something that could help uh, single-sided deafness patients. And most importantly, it started with single-sided deafness patients who had intractable tinnitus. And so the first C 
CI recipients who had really normal hearing on one ear but a severe to profound hearing loss on the other received the cochlear implant really as a treatment for tinnitus and not for hearing issues. But through those initial studies, those same recipients began to experience improvements in their binaural listening situations. And so then we began to open that up more for people who had their chief complaint being hearing concerns because of the single-sided deafness or the SSD as opposed to just the tinnitus. We've seen a wide range of outcomes from the international research that's been done. Um, but here at Slitch, we created a really thorough evaluation process because we wanted to make sure that we were giving or offering cochlear implants to participants that could really benefit from them. Um, and so we've learned through the research that if you have a shorter length of deafness before receiving the cochlear implant, if you're a motivated user, and if you participate in auditory, auditory training after achieving or after activating the cochlear implant, sorry, then you're likely to have better outcomes. Sometimes we see poorer outcomes, and that might be linked to um, experiences where users have had a really long length of deafness in between you know, having hearing loss before they receive the cochlear implant or if they're not very motivated to work at the rehab side of things on the back end. What a great point. I'm so glad that you pointed that out and got to my question about outcomes. Thank you for that. So what's the criteria for cochlear implantation? First and foremost is we're looking for a severe to profound hearing loss in the, the ear with hearing loss. Um, if you have a lesser degree of hearing loss, then we might opt to fit a hearing aid or other less invasive approaches. Um, beyond that, we also need um, or we're only offering this to patients who are expressing hearing concerns and that obtain limited benefit either from a traditional hearing aid or a different contralateral routing device. We really try to talk to families and assess their level of motivation for continued device use appointment follow-up, and auditory training after implantation. However, we do consider each patient on an individual level, and we tailor our team recommendations accordingly. So once the process has gotten started and patient selection criteria is determined, what are some of the long and short-term effects of implantation? Great question, because we see a, a big range from right after cochlear implantation to longer follow-up. Right after we activate the cochlear implant, typically recipients will say that the sound quality is pretty poor. It might be robotic, high-pitched. There's not very good clarity that comes from it. Um, the good news is the more that you wear it, um, the better it sounds. And over time, we hope that that improves. And we know that with continued use, so putting the cochlear implant on every day and wearing it during what we call all waking hours, anytime you're awake, uh, through optimizing the programming through your audiology appointments, and then through auditory training, we begin to see binaural hearing benefits, which could include improved audibility to hear noise that's presented on that side, um, improved ability to hear in background noise or to localize to where sounds are coming from. And then once those hearing benefits come through, we start to see them uh, benefit your social listening situations and your quality of life. So after the long-term effects, though, of implantation, you know, we hope to have these good outcomes where it's improving your listening ability. But there are things to consider because you do have an implant in your head. So kids or adults with cochlear implants, they're able to play sports and live their life, but we do have certain precautions we want to keep in mind. 
um, because of that implanted device. So we're cautious of hits to the head, static electric discharge, and we consider MRI compatibility because there is a magnet component to the internal piece that's implanted. That's so interesting. And what about bilateral implantation? Is this becoming the standard of care for patients who cannot receive adequate benefit from hearing aids? As you discussed single-sided deafness, what about bilateral implantation? We are seeing a lot more kids receive bilateral cochlear implants, and it really does go in line with what we're thinking about for the patients with single-sided deafness in that you hear best whenever your brain receives information from both sides of your body. It helps with all of those tricky situations like listening and background noise, localizing, and such. And so the trend really is to provide adequate and optimized hearing at both ears. So if you have a severe to profound hearing loss or some degree that puts you in the candidacy range, then we are likely to recommend a bilateral cochlear implantation. Um, That being said, we also know that in terms of language learning, one cochlear implant, especially for our our young patients, our 12-month-old, 16-month-old patients, one cochlear implant will give them the access to sound that they need to learn spoken language. Um, So we sometimes will offer us the sequential cochlear implantation where we plan to do both ears eventually, but we might start with one and then do surgery a few months later for the second, or we could opt to do them simultaneously where surgery happens at each ear at at the same time and we activate them pretty close to one another. Isn't that amazing? What you can do now, doctor, it really is fascinating. So tell us about some of the research in this area, including projects that are currently taking place at St. Louis Children's Hospital. We have, uh, thankfully, this is a very interesting area of the field, and so there's tons of research happening internationally and nationally. Here at Children's, we are um, working closely with the, our WashU partners at Washington University to complete some research studies. Um, we're oftentimes looking at specifically for cochlear implants, what programming works best. There are different noise algorithms or different processing strategies that we can use to create a clearer, um, more beneficial auditory signal so we can do different research and figure out which kids respond well to those. Um, Our current research project is specifically looking at this population of kids with single-sided deafness. While we offer a cochlear implant to some SSD patients, we don't do that for all. And so we do have a very thorough evaluation process that we do both clinically and through our research protocol, which allows us to provide a lot of education to the family and to the child, as well as information about all of the treatment options available for single-sided deafness, which might include maybe a monitoring approach or different, less invasive devices to be worn. And so our current research project is really looking at all of those options and what outcomes we see whenever families choose different devices. And then through that, we can really specifically focus in on the cochlear implant users and how they do um, with the cochlear implant after receiving it, you know, three months out, six months out, 12 months out. This looking at cochlear implants in the single-sided deafness population is still pretty new, and especially in children, there's not a lot of published research yet. So we're really excited to be kind of on the front line of that. As you should be. That is very exciting research. So at what point should a physician refer to a specialist, and what can that referring physician expect from the cochlear implant team? I would say anytime you're working with a child that's diagnosed with a hearing loss, it 
um, is worthwhile reaching out to a pediatric audiology team, um, especially if there is unilateral hearing loss or single-sided deafness. At that point, we can just provide the family and the child with a lot of information and education. Um, but beyond that, especially if you have parents who are having concerns in the academic setting or in the social setting, they feel like their child isn't responding as well as they should be, um, or if they're just seeking more information. One of the largest components of our practice with the single-sided deafness or hearing loss community in general is educating the families so that they can be advocates for their children. So it's never too soon to refer to an audiologist or anyone on our team here, even if it's just kind of as a reconnaissance mission for the families. Whenever a referring physician contacts our team, they should expect a really thorough evaluation um, that provides that counseling and that education about hearing loss. We can discuss all of the possible treatment options. For the single-sided deafness community, there are several pathways and it's hard to know for each individual child which one is the right one until we really get to know them more and know what their concerns and priorities are. But that can be said for multiple types of hearing loss and different devices, and we work with all devices here at our center. We also offer a trial of these devices, so families have the opportunity to gain experience with them before they're financially responsible, either through insurance or out-of-pocket expenses for their own personal equipment. Um, and then most importantly, we're offering this team approach where we bring in the speech pathology, the ENT environment. So we're really looking at the whole child and we strive to bring in and communicate with the local providers because we want to get to know that we're providing the best service for these families and working with the, the team that provides their routine follow-up that has the rapport with the family, we find that to be a crucial component to that. What else would a referring physician want to know about the cochlear implant program at Children's? What would you like to tell us? I'd like them to know that we utilize a whole child approach in a family-centered model, and we're learning a lot more about this population, and we're eager to share that, and we're eager to learn from our referring physicians to see what they're experiencing with their patient. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us today. And as I said before, what an amazing time for cochlear implantation and the work that you're doing. Thank you again for joining us. And that wraps up this episode of Radio Rounds with St. Louis Children's Hospital. To consult with a specialist or to learn more about services or resources available at St. Louis Children's Hospital, please call the Children's Direct Physician Access Line at 1-800-678-HELP. You can also head on over to our website at stlouischildrens.org for more information and to get connected with one of our providers. If you found this podcast informative as a provider, please share it with other providers that you know. Share it with your patients so that we can all learn from the experts together. And don't miss all the other fascinating podcasts in our library. Until next time, I'm Melanie Cole.